The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, for as we sang, good and gracious King, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, good and gracious King. That's who you are. You are high and lifted up. You are exalted. You reign as the Holy One, full of power. You're the King. And you are good and gracious. Full of good grace for us, your people. That's who you are. We declare that. We sang it, and then we sang in the next verse, you deserve the greater glory. And we sang that out declaring it, Lord. You, that's who you are. We praise you for that. We declare you glorious because of that. And Lord, I ask now that as we turn to this passage and this concept this morning and, and take some things apart and think, and it may be in a little bit different way than usual. As we do that, would you help us to see that you, the good and gracious King, you the one who deserves the greater glory, that the greater glory is not just that we say that you are good and gracious and praise you for it, but that we take you up on that and trust you. That we say you are good and gracious and we bank on it in faith. Live believing you're good and gracious, full of might, holy, ours. Help us not just to understand these things, but, but to trust you, to live by faith in you, to live it day after day, to live by faith in you, the good and gracious king. That's the glory that you deserve, a people who follow you faithfully. So Lord, would you teach this morning towards that end? Would you, would you build us up as a people towards that end and help us to, to understand some things that are maybe a little bit difficult to, to see them? But then, Lord, move our hearts to, to believe them, to trust, to trust you. That's my prayer for this morning, for this time here. Would you teach and build up this church, the people in it, for their good and for your glory? That's what we pray this morning. Thank you. Amen. So with a number of men being away at the men's retreat this morning, as was already mentioned, we're going to take a brief pause from our study of the Gospel of Matthew, and instead we're going to turn to a passage that I think is going to help us discuss some of the same sort of material being discussed at the men's retreat, so that this half the church and that half the church can, can have thought about some similar things and can discuss them together, kind of be on the same page up at the retreat, we've been addressing a particular theological concept that lies at the center of the Christian sanctification. How it is that a Christian grows in Christ-like character and obedience, that's sanctification. And we're using, we've been using the wording that author and theologian John Piper uses to describe this concept. He uses this, this wording Faith in future grace. That's, that's his language. 
He wrote an excellent book on it, in fact. And if you, the full title of the book, if you, if you hear the full title of the book, you can kind of see where this goes. The Purifying Power of Living by Faith in Future Grace. Or Future Grace for short. The Purifying Power of Living by Faith in Future Grace. He wrote a book about it. highly recommend the book. That's his language. But we're using that language because it puts a different spin on some things that are not new, not different, but maybe a lot of people have found that when you talk about it in a, something in a different way, you kind of see it and, and kind of maybe get it in a different way and therefore know how to work with it, how to use this. This is the God-designed mechanism for a Christian sanctification. This concept we're going to talk about this morning. Faith in future grace. So here's what that means. Take a very familiar passage. You could, you could go to a, a hundred places, but let's take a very familiar one that I, I guess a lot of us know, Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's Paul. In other words, he says, I'm a Christian. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I'm a Christian, and then what he's about to talk about after that is the rest of his Christian life, how he lives the rest of his Christian life as he walks in obedience to God, growing in sanctification, moving towards heaven. Be crucified with Christ, I no longer live. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who's that? The one who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I now live I live by faith in Christ. Or think of another passage. We live by faith, not by sight. Probably a bunch of passages could pop to your mind where the Bible talks about we live by faith, we live by trusting, we live by, by hope, dependence on God, all kinds of phrases in the Bible like that, and therefore all kinds of phrases in our common Christian language, in our songs. Those words are frequent in, in Christian language. We live by, we walk by faith. Not just saved by faith in a moment in the past, but after we're saved, the life we now live, we live by faith. And what does that mean? Faith is inherently something that understands the present looks around and sees what is, and then trusts that to do something or become something in the future. Faith is forward-looking, inherently so. None of us has faith that we had a heavy snowfall winter. That's over. There's no, no faith involved there. You might have faith that now we will have flooding, will, future, or you might have faith that this summer the reservoirs will fill up because of the snowfall. We look back and we see something and we understand it, but we have faith in something that is to come. We believe something will happen, some condition will attain. And for the Christian, what we're looking back at and, and looking around right now to understand is because of Christ's work in us, Christ's work for us, because of his adopting of us as children, because of his giving of, to us of his spirit to live within us, all that's grace, all of that is grace, that already happened. 
Because of that, we look around and we say, because of that, that past grace, if you want to keep using the lingo, because of that past grace, I now stand in a spot where what I can expect and have faith in is that five seconds from now, five minutes, five years, for eternity, God will meet me in more grace still. Because he saved me, because he claimed me as his child, because he made himself my father, because he filled me with the spirit, I stand in grace now and can expect grace, 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 grace. Past grace, present grace, future grace. And only one of these is the object of faith. Because faith is forward-looking. Now, that's built on the past, of course. And I can see it right now in the present. But the Christian life is a life of faith. Trusting God to be for me, to do for me, five seconds from now or 5,000 years from now. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. All the way through life, including his return and on into heaven. The promises of God's grace made for me now are promises about the future. And they are, to, they are what I am to know and to bank on and trust. Faith in future grace. So Pastor Bryant gave an introductory talk about this on Friday night. And then four of the men from our church and Pastor Leo from Sola Gracia, Sola Gracia Church, a Spanish-speaking church we are in partnership with, they then took that concept and have applied it to different aspects of life that we often struggle with or often tempted to sin in and have showed how walking by faith in future grace has a purifying power. It can chase those sins and those temptations out of us and, and grow us towards Christ-likeness. So they took those different topics, and that's essentially what I'm going to do this morning using a passage in Philippians chapter 4. I could have picked anywhere in the Bible pretty much anywhere in the Bible, but I picked this passage because there are three different things in it. I'm going to use Philippians 4 to talk about this concept. And just so you know, if you're new here this morning, I am using Philippians 4 to talk about a concept. This is a, this is a different sort of sermon than we usually do. We usually preach through books of the Bible, and I have already preached this passage in the series on Philippians, and if you really want to know what the passage is, is about in its context, you could go listen to that sermon. But I am going to use this to talk about this mechanism that God means for us to employ. It's mean that, that we engage with him on because I want to teach the church something here. This half the church, that the other half has been taught already so we can kind of be in sync here. A lot of people find this to be, you know, when you explain it, when I get it, well, that's what we always talk about. That's not new at all. Right. Because we always talk about gospel-centered growth. It's one of the pillars of our church, gospel-centered growth. It's the same thing. That we don't grow by works. We don't grow by discipline. We don't, we're not saved by faith and then grow by effort. It's, we always talk about this. But, but a number of folks have found it helpful to kind of see it in a different light, and that kind of then reveals, oh, that's what I'm to do as I pursue Christ-likeness. There's something that I'm to do. I'm to actively trust in. I'm to bank on this character of God, that promise of God. 
Before I came to understand this, I can't tell you how many Bible studies I was in that covered the promises of God. Anybody have ever been in a Bible study that talked about the promises of God? And this never connected. The promises of God became things to kind of memorize and to know and to kind of rest in. But I never got, maybe you did, I never got that I'm actually supposed to grab that promise and vehemently trust it and set it up contrary to the false promises of the world. Oh, and live by faith in the future grace promised to me and live by disfaith in the false promises of the world. Oh, I'm supposed to fight that. Because these promises, these offers, this, this message is coming at me all the time, and I need to say not just what a great promise, but what a weapon. And use that, grab hold of that, and vehemently believe it and say no. That's the mechanism that God designed for us to grow up and mature and become like Christ, to bank on this God that I know and trust I trust him tomorrow, five seconds, five years, into eternity. that will meet me in grace. So when, when the, the promise of the woman at the bar comes at me and I see her and, and I sense her and I smell her and I feel that promise, I have something to say. But there's another promise, not just thou shall not, but, get that, not just thou shalt not, that's law. But instead, oh, here's a promise that with me, walking in righteousness, my ear is attentive to the righteous one, and I will give you, I will, future, I will give you all that I need. I will sustain your heart. To walk with me is life and joy and fullness. I promise. The lips of the adulteress drip death. Not just thou shall not, but yes thou shall. I will believe that promise and I will walk in righteousness. That's a fight. And to see it, to fight for faith and future grace, to see the purifying power in that. Some people say like, oh, that's the helpful different language. I get it now. Yeah. Or maybe you'll say like, yeah, sure, I always got that. Okay, great. <laughs> then this will be just review. But that's where we're going this morning in Philippians 4, 4-7. to So I'm going to make three points from this passage and Obviously, this is a really long introduction. The, the actual attention in the passage is going to be relatively brief. The three points are going to be relatively brief. The first one's longer because I'm going to flesh it out more, and then the second one and the third one, you'll kind of see how it goes. And again, there are things in Philippians in the context of, of this passage that I'm going to be skipping over because I'm trying to teach a, a theological concept so that we can know how to embrace it and use it to grow. So let me read Philippians 4, 4 to 7, and then I'll draw up these three observations from it. Philippians 4, beginning verse 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 4 to 7, here's three points because there are three different commands here about three different topics. So here's the first. And this is, I'm going to say this a bunch of times, it is deliberately clunky and wordy because I want you to see exactly how this works. I'll say it a bunch of times, so if you're writing it down, you can get all the words. Deliberately clunky and wordy. The Christian life is one of constant rejoicing by means of faith in all the various grace that is mine now and always because I am in Jesus. Say that like six times here, okay? (laughs) The Christian life is one of constant rejoicing. By means of faith in all the various grace, by means of faith in all the various grace that is mine now and always because I am in Jesus. By means of faith in all the various grace that is mine now and always because I am in Jesus. I could just say we find our joy in Jesus as our vision statement says on the banner in the front hall. But the full thing is by means of faith and all the various grace that is mine now and always because I am in Jesus. Verse four, rejoice. That's the command repeated twice and reinforced with an always. Rejoice always, and I say it again because I really mean it, rejoice. It's a command to rejoice, a theme throughout all the Bible, a big theme in the book of Philippians Noteworthy because the book of Philippians has a whole bunch of hardship in it too. The context of Philippians is, is challenging. The church there is doing this with the Roman Empire. The church is in some tough situations. And Paul himself, his, his, the context of Philippians and Paul, Paul first came to Philippi, and you recall this from the book of Acts, was beaten and imprisoned. And he's writing Philippians from another prison cell awaiting a verdict on his life. He does not know what's coming for him. So the church and Paul and put in your own trouble, your own life hardship right there. Paul's really, really aware. The Philippians are really, really aware that life is full of hardship. We are quite aware of that. But whatever it is that you put in there behind Paul and the Philippians is not worse than what they were facing. Can't be. So it's included under the always Rejoice in the Lord always. Even in that situation that come to your mind. Rejoice in the Lord, which of course is the whole key to rejoicing. We're not rejoicing in, in the difficult circumstances. We're not rejoicing because of what is. We're rejoicing in the Lord. That's the command. Command. Which, by the way, don't you want? I mean, don't, don't you want to be able to say, no matter what, I can look at that and I can be sorrowing but ever rejoicing at the same time. Not instead of, I can be sorrowing and ever rejoicing. I can face the death sentence in prison and be full of joy. I can sing with the wounds still raw like Paul did in the Philippian jail. The wounds still raw and I can sing rejoicing. So How? 
not just by rejoicing in the Lord because he saved me in the past already. I think a lot of us think that when you read that. Rejoice in the Lord because he saved me. Which is true, which is for sure grace, which is glorious, which is worth rejoicing in, but which doesn't exactly connect to, but my spouse just got in a car accident and I'm on the way to the emergency room and whatever happens, we're at least looking at a long and difficult and at best partial recovery, which is really hard and makes me frightened and I'm kind of worried about how we're going to pay for all this and I'm worried about what that means for his or her health and, but I guess I'm to rejoice in the Lord because I'm saved. It, it doesn't exactly connect. And if you ever tried to do that calculation, you kind of feel the disconnect and maybe feel a little bit guilty because it's supposed to connect. So I guess something's wrong with me, but I'll, I'll lean into that. I mean, the pastor said rejoice in the Lord, so thank you that my sins are forgiven. I don't know what that means for my spouse's car accident. There's got to be more, and there is. What do you do? Here's what you do. When you're despairing and you're tempted to give in to the despair and be overrun by it, when you are sorrowing and tempted to be overrun by it, not just when the feelings come up, they do come up, but how do you fight against them so that you, you come out rejoicing, not just by telling yourself, don't despair, More. Not just by telling yourself, rejoice in the, the past salvation that's happened to me, but instead, here's what you do. Here's your part in the fight for sanctification, in this case, the fight for joy. You either call to mind or look and find, either call to mind or look and find some relevant aspect of what Jesus, the Lord, is for you and has promised to be for you 10 seconds from now. In the car on the way to the hospital. What is, what is he and what does he promise to be for me 10 seconds from now or next week? Such as, in this particular case, perhaps, Christ will meet me in the emergency room and is with her right now, with him right now. And he is, and he will guide whatever the diagnosis, whatever the medical personnel are doing, he, he will be in charge of that because he's the one who reigns. Lord Almighty, good and gracious. He will reign over that, and he will take us to the rehab place and take us through rehab. He will be with us in that. He will work all of this for good. He has said so. He will provide for, will provide for whatever it is that we need. Maybe not to play tennis again, but whatever it is that we need to fulfill his will and bring him glory and experience fullness with him. He will provide that. He will guide us as we wrestle with the insurance company. He will guide us as we rearrange our house so that now the wheelchair can get in. He will. 
And he will make that to be so that our hearts are at rest because he will walk with us and he will comfort us and he will, he will give us wisdom and he will provide the finances that we need. And he will be the sweet shepherd of our souls because he became my father. Claim me as his child. That's who he is and who he always will be. And I take that and I say, yes, he will. And if it all falls apart, he will give her a new body in the new heaven and the new earth. He will. Will, 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 will. That is all about what he will be five seconds from now or 5,000 years from now. And I trust that. And I hold that up in front of me and hold it up contra to the word, the message from the world. This is a disaster. This is the end. This is hopeless. There is, there is no way this can possibly be anything. This is the end of everything you're hoping for. Say goodbye to your retirement. Kiss, kiss life goodbye because this is a disaster. No, it isn't. Vehemently, I say, no, it isn't. Fight. The world is constantly putting in front of you a message, and so is the Lord. And you got to decide which do I believe. I live by faith in something. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to believe something about tomorrow and next year. Which one is it going to be? We all live by faith. By faith in the promised future grace of God or the promised false offer of of good or the, the promise of terror in the world? Which is it? We hold that up and hold up in front of us the Bible, the sword of the Spirit, and cry out to God, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And he, the Spirit of God, takes his word and changes our hearts unless you don't fight and you just go with despair and let the world tell you it's over. You see, to rejoice in the Lord involves not just looking back, but looking back to figure out who he is and then looking forward and then grabbing hold of that promise and saying yes to it and banking on it and living as if it is true and commanding my heart, why so downcast, O oh my soul? This is Psalm 42 and 43. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. It's a psalmist talking to himself. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't despair over the circumstances. Right there, that's the key that unlocks the prison of fear and despair and negativity and complaint. To rejoice in the Lord, to see who is he and what has he promised me, what has he said he will be for me. And you can, you can find those things in the Bible and apply them to whatever your situation is. I tried to do it with, obviously, with a car wreck. But you can do it with anything because he has spoken plenty about who he is for us and what he promises to be for us. The Lord. That's the key that unlocks, that unlocks that prison of despair and, and hopelessness and negativity and complaint. And on the other hand, it is also the key to realizing what's gone wrong in here when I am being dominated by complaint and misery and unbelief. 
this gets tricky to talk about because you have to be careful with the emotions, but we also need to be really clear. The person who is dominated by despair needs to repent. The person who is not, just, not who has despairing feelings, but who is dominated by despair, Christian who is dominated by despair, needs to repent because that person is not living by faith, living by unbelief, actually. See that? Now, the person who is despairing, you know, that probably doesn't help. But what does help is to say, hey, friend, I, I weep with you over the car accident. I, I do. But I want to help you because I love you, and I want to show you there's a key to get out of being dominated by despair. Because there's a good God who is your Father and has promised to always be with you, never leave you, never forsake you, but to be gracious to you tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And if that's who he is, that's, that's true. That's something worth hoping in, and that's the key to rejoicing, even while sorrowing. So repentance and a crying out to God, help me open my eyes, help me to see, help me to see it bigger than what I can see right in front of me, her broken body, his broken body. Help me to see it and to trust you. That's how you put to death despair and walk into rejoicing, to rejoice in the Lord who is for you forever. I'm not going to repeat the whole point because it's really long, but you get it. Christian life, a life of joy by faith and future grace. So I was a little bit longer with that one. The next two will be shorter because it's the same. Here's the second point. The Christian life is one of consistent, gracious demeanor by faith in the future grace of Christ's return and judgment. The Christian life is one of consistent, gracious demeanor by faith in the future grace of Christ's return and judgment. So the second command comes up in verse 5, let your reasonableness, or some translations put it, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Two different attempts in English to kind of get at what Paul's talking about, but they both can be a little bit misleading because he doesn't mean reasonable as in like appropriate and not extreme. Gentle, if you have the word gentle in your Bible, it doesn't mean gentle as in careful with a soft touch. Rather, what's in view here is an attitude of forbearing, or a word we've used often in Matthew, meekness. Not easily agitated, not irritated easily, not uh, easily offended or indignant when wronged. Having a gracious demeanor. The kind of person that you really hope is on the other end of the phone when you phone line when you have to call them and give them some really bad news about something that you messed up. You hope they're like this gracious demeanor. It's a word often used of God and it's supposed to be used of us as we are with all people be, be in view to all in the church and outside of the church as they have dealings with us they find us humble and easily entreated the kind of people who don't return reviling when we are reviled but instead entrust ourselves to him who judges justly which is the language of First Peter that's the key 
the certain fact that there is a coming Savior who will subject all things to himself, who will right all wrongs and will deliver his people when he comes in the future to judge. That grace from God in Christ for us as people, we know that and we must, we we must live believing it, looking forward to it, banking on it, by faith in it. We look forward to it, and, and that's what we have to keep in mind if we're going to defer judgment here and, and in, place, in place of like getting our justice and getting our rights. We're instead going to say, I'm going to put that off, and I will instead show mercy and I'll let whatever kind of judgment should be sorted out here, I will let the judge judge. And he'll do it right when he comes. And even now, the Lord is at hand. The next phrase here. Suck right in there, right between this and between the next one, because it also affects our anxiety. But right here, what he's saying is not just that he's, that he's near to us, like indwelling us, but he means near as in about to come. Paul, the New Testament, often holds up the return of Christ as like right there. We, we should live not thinking this is a billion years down the road, but it might be even today. It's near. He's about to come. That kind of particular future grace, that grabbed hold of, that leaned into, is what enables us to forbear. Like that's, that's what Jesus, that's the language of 1 Peter. Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly and was gentle towards his oppressors and didn't, didn't revile when reviled. That's where we find the strength to let go and to respond graciously, to go the extra mile, to turn the other cheek, if you think of the Matthew's language. Because if something needs to be sorted out, I believe he will sort it out when he comes. If something needs to be delivered, I believe that he will deliver when he comes. And that's soon. So, if you look at yourself and you say, different than, than despairing, different than a feeling of hopelessness and sorrow, if you look at yourself and say, I am frequently pissed. That might be a swear word, I don't know. <laughs> it's what comes to your mind, though. I'm frequently, you, you don't think, I'm frequently, like, mildly upset. <laughs> you think, I'm frequently, like, Gah! Okay. Repent. Not just by saying, but I shouldn't. I'm supposed to be gracious. Thou shalt not. That's law. And the law's good. The law tells us what we are to be. But not just when I'm frequently that way. I shouldn't be that way, so I won't be. I'll try really hard not to be. No, 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 no. We want to purify ourselves of that by faith in the future grace that the Lord is going to come and sort it out and he will sort it out. And my cause is I've been ripped off. I'm getting ripped off all the time. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. And by faith, he will settle the account. 
will, future. And I'm going to take that and I'm going to set it up against a, do you know how much money you're losing? I'm going to say, do you know how much glorious reward I'm gaining? I'm going to believe that and pray, Spirit, would you show me that? Would you, would you remind me that it's coming? Would you remind me this life is not all that there is, but there is an eternity coming, and I want to be best set up for that, not just for my retirement here, for that retirement. Spirit, open my eyes and cause me to see that, and then by faith, grab hold of it and live believing. Gracious demeanor by faith in the coming judgment and deliverance of Christ. Lastly then, the Christian life is one of freedom from anxiety to peace. Freedom from anxiety to peace. By faith in the gracious attentiveness of your Father who is in heaven. The Christian life is one of freedom from anxiety to peace. By faith in the gracious attentiveness of your Father who is in heaven. The gracious attentiveness of your Father who is in heaven. Verse 6, the third command, very famous passage here, well known. And the lead command is the driver. Do not be anxious about anything. Boy, again, absolute language. Anything. Anxiety, being anxious, has no place among us. Which, again, doesn't mean that it's never going to pop up, that you're never going to face anything that makes you anxious. It means you will not be controlled by it, ruled by it. So how do we give into that? How do we not give into that? We aren't to be a people who are, who are ruled by that, but instead are to be a people who are at peace, not anxious, who are joyful, who are gracious in demeanor. Well... Here's the way you defeat that. You take everything to God and leave it with him in prayer. That's not new to us, right? This is, so, this is such a well-known passage. You, you know that. You take everything to God and you leave it to him in prayer. But here's maybe the helpfulness of this particular language, of, of putting it this way, is that it kind of helps us think about that again. Because there's a bunch of us, I think a lot of us, who know this verse, memorize it decades ago, believe it to be true, and walk around ruled by anxiety. So we take this verse and we say, the key is I take it to him and leave it there in prayer. And I hold up in front of myself the Bible, pick any passage. I'm going to use Psalm 34, but this is lots and lots of places. Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ear towards their cry. That's what is. He is always eyes on, ears open to the cry of the righteous. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears them and delivers them. You hearing that the promise of future grace? When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them. The Lord is near, near to the brokenhearted, and saves the crushed in spirit. Again, it's future grace. Hears and saves. 
Those of his people who are hard-pressed and opposed and afflicted and therefore inclined to fear and anxiety, the message of the Bible, don't fear, the Lord is near. He hears and delivers the righteous who cry for help. That's you, Christian. Because of what he's done, he made you his, he made, he made you his righteous one. And because of that, what you can say is, today and five minutes from now, and next week when the thing happens that I have no idea is going to happen, but it's going to happen. When it happens, and I'm tempted to fear that, the Lord is in a posture right now, seated on his throne, almighty and exalted, holy, holy, and has opened up the throne room to me because of Christ and has invited me in and wants me to come say, Here's my deal. Here's my need. Here's my situation. And his eye is on me and his ear is open. And he will see and he will hear and he will answer and will reward. Matthew, will, future, will reward. So he's saying, come, 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 come. With prayer and supplication. Two ways of saying the same thing. Second one maybe emphasizes a bit more of a great need. With prayer and supplication, make known to your Father who is enthroned in heaven what it is that you need in this, in this moment of trouble, this moment of trial. And he hears and he will answer. That's his promise. Does that not make you thankful? That's, that's where the passage goes, with thanksgiving. If you, if you hear that, you put it together, you say like, yeah, if that's who he is, and that's who he is towards me, and he's inviting me in, that's good news. Thankfulness rises up in you. And what comes out the other side of that? We talked about this a little bit last week in prayer. If you go in and you sit in front of the Lord and you say, here's my need, here's my deal, the, the thing that's coming at me, I, help That's not a lever that we like flip to get exactly what we want. We don't actually know how he'll answer that. But he's promised that he will hear and he will answer that. And it could well be that a large part of that answer is, come here and sit with me. You are worried about where you're going to get the money for the mortgage. And son, daughter, what, what the answer is is that you're not and you're going to lose your house. And you're going to live with your parents again, who are 80. That's going to be embarrassing. And as you sit there with him, and he puts on you eternity. Remember this from last week? Holiness a depth of what's important, a, a connection with him. You say, yeah, light and momentary. I believe you will work all things for my good. I, I see something here seated with you. I, I believe that. Okay. 
It could well be that, that the greatest part of the answer that your father with ears open and eyes open to you, that, that he says is, I, I see you and I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you, never going to forsake you, and I'm going to carry you all the way home. It's going to be all right. And as you commune with him, you believe that actually because the Spirit works some weirdness in your heart. Rationally, the world's saying, it is not going to be all right at all. You know how bad that is? But sitting in his presence, whew, yeah. Or it could be that he gives you money for the mortgage. I don't know. But in the end, the reality is he will make to descend upon you a peace. And that will guard your heart from all anxiety, from all fears, from all terrors. He will do that. He will make descend upon you a peace that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm, I'm good. You'll believe that, actually. If you go to him in prayer. But why will you go to him in prayer? Not just because you should, but you will go to him in prayer by faith in the future grace that attentiveness from my Father is what I need. And he promises it to me. It is worth noting that Philippians does continue on, and by verse 19, Paul says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There's another will supply, another bit of future grace. God's riches are deep and vast. He'll meet all of our needs. Material, spiritual, whatever it is, I believe that. And that's why you will pray. And if you don't pray, you don't believe that. I'm not saying you don't in any way whatsoever believe that. I'm saying put up in front of you, there's a message. That's a waste of time. It would be better off if you started calling looking for a job. Or it would be better off if I went and sat in the presence of the Lord. Which, which should I do first? I believe this. Fight to believe that. And to give you a peace. And then, and then you're going to have to call for jobs. Sure, of course. But the peace that comes doesn't come from calling for jobs. The peace that comes is from sitting in his presence, putting everything there and saying, here, you are my Father in heaven, attentive to my needs. In fact, you're my Father in heaven because you want to be attentive to my needs. And I will give you the greater glory, as we sang, when I actually act on that and go to you and put it all there. That's where the peace comes from. Release from anxiety. And that's actually where the, the joy comes from, release from sorrow. And the gentle demeanor comes from, release from the anger, the need for justice. That's where the shalom kingdom of God comes from. Living, believing, that's who he will be for me when I go to him and go to him and follow him. Faith in future grace. So, I picked this passage because there were three different topics in it. But we could have gone anywhere. Could have used the, the passage that was prayed in the elder prayer, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 
That's actually the opening passage of John Piper's book. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Command, command, command. How does it finish? For he has directed your paths. No. Future grace. For he will direct your paths. The only reason I go to him and trust him is that I believe he will direct my paths. You can go anywhere and find this anywhere. And so when you find yourself not going to him, you're saying, I know what I'm doing wrong and I know what I need to do right. Lord, help me to believe that you will direct my paths. Show me. Show me. So that's what we have to fight on. We have to fight on finding what God is, finding what God has said he will do, and holding it up contra the promises of the world and grabbing hold of them, banking on them as we cry out, Lord, help me, I believe, but help my unbelief. There's purifying power in living by faith in future grace. It's gospel-centered growth. It's trusting God's promises. It's something you're probably familiar with, but in a different way, maybe you see it differently. It's my hope this morning. It was our hope at the men's retreat. So let me pray that, that God would press onto us some some different and some renewed uh, fighting tendencies, trusting him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.